All right, welcome back to the With, Where, and Who podcast. I'm here with Ghost Moths, um, Preston and Carlos. How are y'all doing today? Oh, it's doing pretty well. How about you? It's going pretty great. Um, So first things first, uh, you're our two-piece band, correct? Just two of y'all. Yes, we are. Okay, awesome. So just state your name, full name, and what you do in the band. All right, uh, I'm Preston Pound. I'm lead vocals, guitar, and bass. And uh, I'm I'm Carlos, and I pretty much do everything other than that, but mostly play drums. <laughs> Being in a two-piece band, does it ever feel like you're doing everything in a way because they're so limited? I think yeah, in a way, yes, because I, I have kind of a, an odd setup where I end up attempting to kind of have guitar and bass register playing at the same time. And Carlos has to fill up a huge amount of space sonically to make up for that. So it, it, it can get a little busy on our ends. Do you ever feel like you have more freedom doing that, though, since it's just two of y'all? Or does it just always feel like stressful more so? Well, Carlos and I have been playing music together for a, a very, very long time. We've been in a couple of bands together. And I think since we know each other pretty well from a musical standpoint, it's... It's easy for us to know what's going on, so we we're already pretty free as is, just from a, a knowing each other standpoint, professional standpoint. Yeah, yeah. I think that makes things a lot easier, because um, like there are bands that like form through record labels that are like Ringo Starr, for example. Like he wasn't really he didn't know any of those guys in the Beatles way beforehand. The that's record label just knew. Yeah, is that the story? You don't know that story? No. <laughs> so it's. Kind of insane. So the Beatles, before they were signed to a record label, it was Paul, Ringo, George, and then Pete Best, who was their original drummer. And it's, they, I forget the name of the record label. It wasn't Apple Recordings, it was something different. But they basically were gonna get signed to a record label um, to put out albums. And the record label loved every single one and thought they were really like talented, except for Pete Best. And so what ended up happening was that they personally went to the Beatles and said, hey, you have to remove this guy out of your band or you're not going to get signed. And so what ended up happening was that he got kicked out before they signed the deal. And then the record label found another guy, which was Ringo Starr, and that's literally how he became a part of the band. Jeez. Yeah, so Pete Best literally saw all of their success like take off right in front of his eyes. <laughs> Imagine oh, like sucks. being kicked out of I mean getting kicked out of a band is bad, but that band on that level back then. Jeez, yeah. Depressing. yeah. It's really sad. So I thought I would share that memento with y'all. Oh god. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the the point is that it's really good, like once you know people like in a band because it, I think that's also like a thing of trust too. Um have you been have you all ever been in bands where it's just like you didn't know the person too well, so you weren't as trustworthy with them, or has that never really been the case? I mean, I think me. I can, I was about to say, I think I can kind of speak a little bit to that, uh, especially when, like, Preston and I were in our first band. Uh, it was kind of weird, because, like, Preston and I didn't know each other at the time, and so it took uh, it took a couple of practices, I think, for us to, like, open up, and I think once we realized how much alike we were, and uh, the same kind of music style we're both into, and it really just just kind of spawn from there. So, yeah, I, I get that feeling of, you know, when you first get started with people you don't know, it's kind of weird and you're kind of like, oh man, I have to play perfectly. I, they have to think I'm legit. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I was terrified during our first rehearsal. What's your you? 
just like not knowing anyone or just like not knowing songs? Uh, oh, pardon? So, sorry, what was that? No, just asking like what terrified you like initially? Was it just like not knowing songs, like not knowing people? Um, I think it's just always a little bit nerve wracking when you go into a room for the first time as a band. And especially so if you don't know all the members, because you kind of have to get a read for their personality while also trying to be productive in terms of a rehearsal. So you have to be on your A game in terms of music. It's it's a lot of factors that can be a little bit stressful. <laughs> So with your, and yeah, like, I mean, because, I don't know, I've always been, like, the most, like, outgoing person, I guess. Um, there's never been a time where I felt terrified. Um, but I could, like, imagine, like, even, like, children or, like, anyone, like, going into a place that's not their known and breaking out of their comfort zone, it could be terrifying. But would you say it's, like, breaking out of your comfort zone in a, in a way? Since you're already, like, so adept to music? I would say at this point it wouldn't be, but I was still pretty fresh faced when we first started playing. I, Carlos, it was around 2013, wasn't it? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I think that's correct. So you've been playing music for a little over five years. Yeah. Together. Was it always like that gothic um, blues sound, or did it ever change over? Did it change over time? Because <laughs> <laughs> like when I first heard that, I was like, "This is like something." Because when you think of like music in Atlanta, you think there is a rock scene, there is a rap scene, and those are like the two things. But I'm like, okay, this is now we're getting somewhere. Was it always like that? Carlos and I actually got started off in a pop punk band together. Really? We were called uh, Point of Sizzle. We released uh, two albums and played all over Alabama for a better part of three years. What's the music scene like there compared to Atlanta? Like, is it any different or is it like much more open? In, in Auburn, it's mostly fraternity gigs and cover bands at the bars. So being an original act is a little tougher in Auburn. Gotcha. Yeah, because I think of Atlanta, it's like Atlanta, even like in Augusta and like Macon, like Macon has a huge punk scene, by the way, just side note. Um, but it's a much more open platform where people will say, oh, you have a talent. You want to do this. You want to do that. We'll give you this platform to do it. And I've never I've always felt that way, like with music in Atlanta. And I felt like everywhere, like New York or L.A. It was just like always like really shut off. Yeah, Carlos uh, and I, with Point of Sizzle, we actually kind of got our chops around doing cover gigs, hybrid cover original kind of sets, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty interesting. I think when you're when you're kind of stuck in a place that really wants cover bands, uh, it's nice when you're trying to mix original music with the style that you're covering and people don't recognize that, hey, I just played an original tune. It's like, this is the first time we've ever played this song and why are you singing along? Yeah, <laughs> you try to make your pop punk songs so catchy they don't even realize it's not a Jimmy yeah. World tune. Like, there's no way you know the song, but I'm mean, cool. <laughs> I, I appreciate you. I appreciate the effort. I think there's a lot of pop punk songs that are like that, though, where you don't know the name of the band, but you definitely know the song and you oh, will yeah. sing along. Even if you don't like it, it's just that catchy. And that's so much into the pop aspect of that genre. Yeah. I mean, pop music is like that definition wise. Yeah, the idea is to <laughs> your, uh, your attention into it and make sure that you can't ever forget it or let go of it. 
What made you want to let go of it and just go into this whole completely different route, though, with um, Gothic Blues? So, growing up, I listened to a lot of different music. My folks were not musicians, but they were audiophiles. They loved listening to music and going to concerts. And really, the the style of music that was the most prevalent was bluegrass, actually. Um, so I was listening to a lot of bluegrass. I was going to a lot of bluegrass shows. I was also camping and hiking a lot as kids. So there was a lot of campfire kind of ghost stories. And I, I, I really kind of liked that storytelling style of music. And I just really wanted to try something new. I fell in love with the blues kind of my last year of college, which would have been about 2015 and I haven't really stopped since. So with that love of blues, you do have songs like Whiskey Doe um, and Burn the Barn. And before those songs were even on like your latest release, they were always like demos. Um, with those demos, did you ever like think to yourself, like we should like put this on an EP or were the like scraps that you thought like, oh, this shouldn't be on an EP? It's, it's always, funny. Like, was... like... <laughs> Staying in that <laughs> format. It's, it's funny because we, when we first started doing those songs, actually Carlos joined um, very recently. I moved back up to Atlanta. This uh, Ghost Moths actually kind of started in Statesboro in 2015 for a few years. And uh, my, my previous drummer at the time and I got inebriated and we went into a barn with three microphones and just kind of hit go and see what happened. And the, those demos were what happened. We were, happy with the lo-fi sound but i think over time i realized i wanted something a little more polished and when it came time to make an album carlos is a is a recording genius we we did all of the recording ourselves carlos mixed and mastered everything and he's he's just got a really good ear for that kind of stuff so i was happy with the lo-fi quality but knowing that there was a little bit of more untapped potential there was a huge motivator for that yeah, what's been a highlight of your career so far um, with that gothic blues sound that you've tapped into since 2015? <laughs> the amount of interesting people I've met. Um, <laughs> Dude, you tell more. So it's it's a weird kind of music around here because we're not heavy enough to be a metal band, but we're too heavy to be a blues band. And right. You know, there, there are some pop elements in some of the songwriting, but we're not a pop band. And it, you know, it, it's just it's kind of weird how we sit in a Venn diagram and you kind of get odd interest from mixed bags of all people that are interested in different kinds of music. So, like, is, it, is there ever been like a situation where you were playing a live show and people didn't expect what they were buying into because of that? You want to talk about Red Clay, Carlos? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure we've had a couple gigs where, you know, you kind of show up and you, you look at the crowd and you can just say, man, they have no idea what's about to hit them right in the face. <laughs> so, but then, again, like, it just kind of, it, it makes it all the more exciting because you, you really, you, they, you have no idea how they're going to react. Like, they could absolutely love it or they could absolutely hate it. And I think that that kind of adds to the excitement of, you know, you, you walk into a situation like that, you, you have no idea what's going to happen. And you're just like, hey, let's just rock and roll. We've definitely scared a few grandmothers. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I just think it's so funny, though, like when you're um, on that like pathway of like continually like, making 
music and playing live shows and you're starting out early in your career, you like you never know like how your show's gonna go. Um, has there ever been like a time where um, you know, like the best show and the worst show? And if so, what was the worst and best show? Hmm, worst show. If you want to tell. Oh yeah, I, don't I, do. I, that. Um, I don't know, Carlos, what, what was our worst show? Is this for the whole career of us playing together? Yeah. It, yeah. Oh man, I let me tell you about Finnegan's. Oh, Finnegan's. Oh God, I blocked that out. Now I, I I tell you what, like it was it was a Wednesday night, and we were you know still in college, so we had class to be at the next morning. But uh, our buddy was up in Huntsville, and he's like, "Hey, I've got a gig for us, and it's this like small little bar." And we figured, you know, it's a Wednesday night. You know how how bad could it really be? Well, we walk in there and it's like the smokiest bar I've ever been in in my whole life. Uh, so besides that and spending, you know, plenty of time setting up and four hours of playing cover tunes to mostly the bartender um, at the end of the night, it was just, well, it's, you know, one or two in the morning, got to make a four hour drive back to, to Auburn and God. be a class the next day. <laughs> Never and, mind uh, that our equipment all smelled like cigarette smoke for days afterwards. <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was one of those gigs where you just get home and you're like, I feel dead. I'm probably close to death. And um, I'm going to, now I have to go do a whole day. And it was, <laughs> it was just not, it was not worth it. But I mean, no. oh, well, we have a good story to tell from it. So yeah, that's <laughs> definitely here on this podcast. And maybe the grandmothers liked it too. So who knows? Maybe so. <laughs> In terms of best gigs, do you mind if I do like two or three? Yeah, no, you can just make you no, one. Man. Or you you got to stick to one. I think he very quickly <laughs> laid out the rules. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I honestly think one of my favorite gigs that we played collectively um, was when Carlos actually joined. It was our first show together. We went down back to Statesboro from Atlanta. And there was a, a music festival that took place in someone's house. It was like the house show to end all house shows. And the house was overflowing with people. And I love the intimacy of house shows because people are there and only there to listen to music. So it was a very attentive crowd that was really into what we were doing. And we had a lot of really good interactions with folks. Um, another notable one is uh, actually a few weeks ago, I was down in Dothan. Uh, playing at Feature Players Cabaret for another kind of gothic-y punk blues band, the Super Elevators, that were having their uh, EP release. And that was just awesome to find another group that had similar styles of music and were kind of, you know, kind of in the same hemisphere music-wise as we were. Well, now you're going to be opening up for Lincoln Durham soon at the Masquerade, so... I, that's, that, I was going to put an asterisk on that. I can already tell that's going to be a, a very memorable show. Yeah, I was going to say, like, cause have you all ever performed or been to the Masquerade? We've actually played there when, uh, when back in March, maybe? I think so. It was it was a while back last year. But... Uh, new location? Or, yes, new location then. New location, yes. Okay, I played yeah. at the, the old Masquerade, and uh, it's just kind of interesting to see how much it's changed over time. You know, it's a change of location and style and almost like a whole different population of people attending masquerade shows now. I know. Cause I remember, um, cause I have stories from like my parents and even my friend's parents, like my friends, the first day my friend's parents went on, um, 
they went to the masquerade, but before it was even a concert venue, it was a pizza restaurant. It was, yeah. yeah it was a stories of that. <laughs> <laughs> then I think before it was a pizza restaurant, it was like a mill because there's that, always that like old mill that's in front of it. That's yeah, I not think they used to away. load drums in through like a a lift, like an old like cotton <laughs> elevator or something. That's so funny. That's <laughs> I mean that's true, and that's awesome. I um, love the masquerade, but I don't necessarily miss the feeling up in heaven that you're going to fall through the. the oh no! Boards. Well, when I when I was in that that old masquerade, I was in, I was still in high school, so I always I never really realized it then. But now I think back, I'm like, if I because I'm much more aware of things now, and I'm always scared of like that happening. I've definitely jumped through my chair of plywood stages before, so yeah, <laughs> the fear is real. I love how like that's not like one of your worst shows. I was a great. Show. I feel like that'd be the worst thing happening. Like plywood just going through your legs. <laughs> I, I managed to go out pretty unscathed, so that's lucky. Not too bad. Yes, very. <laughs> well, since I'm not a performer, I will tell you a story of my friend. Um, he's a rapper called Wiley from Atlanta, and mm-hmm. he. Oh, you know him? No, I think I've seen. Uh, posters or maybe posts around facebook but i haven't actually met them yeah um yeah he was at south by southwest he's a really nice guy um but he was performing in texas a lot um, during that whole week and he was telling the story um back at the radio station he was telling us um this story of how he was performing in this bar like you said and it wasn't even like an actual bar with the stage it had like a back area and so he performed in the back area oh my gosh yeah, it's that's how it starts off, and so not even like an actual stage. Like, so already like people aren't even watching. To make matters worse, he went back in March, and that's when March Madness was going on, and oh, so yeah. everyone was like glued to the TV. And so I think he performed like one or two songs like out of the set, and like no one's paying attention. Everyone's just like watching March Madness, and he's just like he just like stops it and says, "Y'all want to watch the game?" And they were like, "Yeah," and so he just stopped performance and watch the game with them that's uh wow that's ballsy that's gutsy um i know like i wouldn't (laughs) if i was in that position like i would understand like not wanting to perform because like i i I mean i'm not in a band or i'm not an artist so i don't know what what that feeling is like when the audience isn't paying attention like do you feel no i mean not that you actually do it but do you feel like you would say something if that were to happen or would you just like cut the set short or how's that work out yeah i think reading the room is appropriate and that might be uh cutting some slower tunes out and maybe trying to push your more energetic music there to see if you can grab anything uh and hold on to attention um yeah that can be frustrating though it it can be very frustrating i don't really know if i have a a solid you know plan a for something like that I've always like, cause I've always like wondered that cause like I've seen artists and that ha- has happened where like the room doesn't feel good. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I guess it's just something that they go through and they just go with it. Honestly, um, I feel like Carlos and I would just start doing pop punk covers as like a throwback to our olden days. Then you have people singing along with you. Yeah. And then just immediately <laughs> go back to Gothic blues just to really kind of like weird them out. Yeah. I mean, part of it too is like, you got to, like when when you think about like really big name acts, um, the, the fact that they're able to put on a concert for an hour and a half and totally you know keep everybody's attention, I think says a lot to 
uh, how they kind of craft their their set lists and then the overall um, environment of the performance. So, you know, like when you think about like their their light shows or, you know, all the different effects that they have going on, just even so much of like how they, you know, will structure like, do they have a few intense songs back to back to back or do they have like a little break in there? So how do, how do they keep the rhythm going? I, I couldn't um, agree more. I think, you know, the problem is some folks, it, it becomes the exact same experience as listening to the CD. And when you're playing a live show, you have this opportunity to really interact with folks and provide this really great experience. And I I'd like to think that we try to put on as energetic and interactive of performance as possible. Yeah. And I always like to say, you're not there to listen to the music. You're there to experience the show. Exactly. I definitely like agree with that. Like, cause even like listening to burn the barn and like listening to song, that, that song that you have King B, where it has that, <laughs> that like definitely like if you play that live do people like stomp their feet to it if it's in your set list uh we we definitely try to get that started with with better success than not yeah it's definitely started like from what i hear i mean in a weird way i'm too busy losing my mind during those parts of the song <laughs> that i don't even know what's going on out there um so Carlos but, drumming is, is a sight to behold, absolutely. That's the selling point of the show. Why do you come to the show? Just come come see... Just see you drum. drum. Yeah, and then and then <laughs> the other thing, too, you know it's a good show when Preston's microphone is being used as a guitar pick at some point. Um, I've seen that happen. And, like, you, you talk about the best shows. Like, how do you tell? That's it. When the mic has come off the mic stand, you, you, know, you know it's on. <laughs> <laughs> This is why, uh, to, to any potential venues listening, this is why I bring my own microphones to shows. <laughs> Just so, like, yeah, I'm sure, like, the Masquerade, like, would have their own mics and everything. You wouldn't want to, like, rough them no, up. That would, that would be terrible, and I wouldn't yeah, do that. Like, for, like, a venue with that much, like, prestige. Yeah, that, that would just be <laughs> kind of, like, spitting on somebody at that point. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, you're like your music is definitely has that live environment feel to it. Like that's, you, that's and like definitely. You, sorry, it, go ahead. No, you're fine. I was just saying, like it's that I was going going to go back to like what you were saying about bands that are prominent putting on shows for like an hour and a half, and it does matter about the set list. Like, it really does. Like with the amount of bands I've seen live, like the reason that I remember them is not. I mean, part, yeah, the live acting and music, but, like, the set list, like, I care about, like, what songs they played, like, what order they play them in, how they stylize it, like, differentiating from the studio version to the live version. Right. There's a lot of, a lot of things I look for. I think there's uh, a lot of people that can go through, like, audio fatigue almost, where they get tired of hearing kind of the same tempo or the same energy or even songs in the same key or same kind of, like, guitar effects so i think it's important to mix those up live in order to prevent that because the last thing you want is for the audience to kind of feel like you've overstayed your welcome that's how i felt when i saw um sublime with rome um, oh how years ago that? yeah it was the worst concert i've ever been to uh, if i'm being honest dang i'm sorry i, I was actually yeah. a sublime fan back in high it's, school and i was too and that concert was just like Oh, I felt like bad. It was it was, first of all, like the opening act, like they had Cypress Hill open for Sublime with Rome. Really? 
I thought, yeah, I thought that was really weird. That's really odd. That's an odd choice. It, it, like they honestly, but it's and then there's this other band called Pepper, which is a really good oh, band. I actually really like Pepper. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're really awesome. They're amazing live. Like then they were like the opening band for Cypress Hill before Sublime. So okay. Pepper goes on stage, kills it. Um, like literally, like people in the back were like jamming out. Like everyone was like explosive. Then they leave. Then Cypress Hill comes out. People lose their minds. Um, and then Sublime came out, and people like still lost their minds, but it wasn't like it did not have the same effect as like Cypress Hill or Pepper. Yeah, that's, the, one- that's the thing. It's it's a huge lineup change with Brad gone, and I just wonder if people were trying to recapture that moment. And then once they saw it live, it may not have been the same. It really wasn't. It's. It's also they don't have a lot of stage energy too, like that's disappointing. That's really that's really, it really sad is. to hear. It yeah, because like I've seen videos of them live before, and I thought like I mean they're not like the most their music isn't the most energetic music in the world except for like songs like Date Rape and stuff like that that are like fast like hard like and, yeah yeah see like that's and then but then I don't know like they play date rape but and it was the same thing it just felt like they have it's like a studio recording version of it live yeah i can't really I tell how i don't I, it's been a while since i've listened to that song i don't know how well it's aged in this day yeah that's the thing i feel like if you were like to release that song now it would not be as successful as it was back in the early 90s for a very good reason yeah that's what i feel like with a lot of songs though like little or like movies too like i was um what was I listening to? I was listening to what well, actually I wasn't listening to it. I was like watching um that for some reason I was watching that music video Serenity Men, which is like a cheesy like 80s song. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've never seen the music video for that. It's basically just um the I forget the name of the group, but it's like I think it's like three women and all around them is just like these like scantily clad men like with shirts off and everything like what like running around and i'm thinking like if okay if that was like reverse roles then people would be and it came out now people would be freaking out about it again for for good reason yeah for, yeah, for definitely good reason like the same thing too like with like if that came out now but it's just so weird like how music ages like nowadays right and i think you know with with our music i think that there's a satirical aspect i think kind of the idea with the songs that we write is it's kind of i i like living in the south but there's a lot of problems with mm-hmm. southern culture and i don't know how well that comes across in our music but there's kind of songs that would seem like there's the glorification of violence or things of that nature and that's certainly not the case it's it's well, there are movies that do that too though yeah, it's it's coming yeah. from a satirical standpoint of like, uh, you know, it, it's almost like if you kind of identify with these lyrics, you might want to take a look in the mirror a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's, um, and also like there, are, I mean, even it's like the song titles. If I'm looking at them, like "Burn the Barn," "The Wreck of Tammy Marie," "Whiskey Doe," there definitely is that like southern like inspiration in it, but. Like you said, like you should take a look at yourself in the mirror if you're like thinking anything that's just 
complete like if you agree in fact to this then there's like a problem it right. is like it's a miracle um going back to the songs who is Tammy marie okay so this is a wonderful oh, story yeah. <laughs> like i'm looking at the text right now and i'm like okay these are very like words within my lexicon but like i looked up Tammy marie because i'm thinking like oh this must have been like a famous person or like a place but there's literally like nothing on there so I need to know the answers. Well, for starters, it's a shrimp boat. Um, <laughs> I used to work down at Skidaway. Oh, it's a shrimp Island. boat. Yeah, yeah, I used to work okay. down at uh, Skidaway Island State Park in Savannah, and uh, this was around Labor Day a few years ago. There was a hurricane that had come through, and my job was to go out and sample the water out there for bacteria. I was uh, doing bacteria research out there. And during the storm, this shrimp boat kind of came loose from a dock somewhere and it crashed itself up on this sandbar out in the intracoastal waterway, about half a mile down from the dock. Uh, my friend Cade Bell and I, uh, after drinking a lot, which is kind of what you do when you're stuck on an island in a hurricane, uh, got the really, really smart idea to get out on uh, some kayaks and try to board the shrimp boat and try to like I don't know what we were going to do when we got up there during a hurricane. Uh, probably. So <laughs> it's, it's four in the morning. Uh, there's a full moon out so we can see, and we go out into the water on these kayaks. We've got a lantern and uh, we're trying to uh, figure out a way to bring a ladder on, but it's you know not going to work. We get about halfway across about 500 yards away uh, or 250 yards away. And Cade, who's in the front of the kayak turns around and says, Hey, by the way, I don't know how to swim. So let's be careful. Uh, luckily we made it onto the boat without incident and back into the kayak and back onto the dock. But you know, when you're pretty, uh, pretty impaired going out into dark water, fast moving current water, not, not the smartest idea we've ever had. That's, I, I mean, I can swim well, but like that's, freaky to me like and when you're doing fighting you're... sharks so oh, you are <laughs> going out and falling into salt water probably would have given me a heart attack <laughs> do you like like have you had any other like near-death experiences like that like hey carlos you remember that time we uh <laughs> been exploring oh man this is yeah you just whenever the gps says to turn left and your instinct is telling you to turn right just don't listen to the gps um, I think it was like late one night we were traveling from Columbus to Huntsville and I'm pretty sure that like there was this, um, we, we had taken a wrong turn and we were going down this like industrial road and there was this, uh, plant up ahead and you want to talk about in the middle of the night, the smokestacks like bellowing huge flames. It just looked like we were, um, approaching the, uh, industrial complex of hell. And so, at some point, we ended up taking a left-hand turn down into a dead end and by, you know, towing a trailer. I'm pretty sure it was one of those, like, oh, my gosh, like, we're going to get stuck here. We're going to die. Somebody's going to come murder us. And here we are, just, you know, three dudes just traveling, just want to get to Huntsville so we can play a show the next morning. <laughs> On a popped tire, I think, too. Oh, yeah, that that too, yeah. So, But, I mean, that's, I don't know, that that's a really dumb you know, time. And then we just, you know, we laugh about it now, but like, I'm pretty sure we were freaking out. Like, where the hell are we? Sure, how, do, how do we get back? 
Well, and I was even thinking of a different urban exploration near-death experience where we uh, went into an abandoned school outside oh, of, uh, like, right. halfway between Macon and Savannah. And I don't, I don't know what we were thinking. We were just kind of like, we have time to kill. Let's go see what this is all about. And it's horrifying. There's, you know, strange markings on the walls, on the chalkboards, and things strewn around. And we get to a back door Uh, kind of in the back part of the school and it won't open and we just we've seen everything we need to see and we start walking out we hear that door open and something large and metallic slam out of it so uh we actually hurtled our way through all the broken windows to get out of there lickety split and almost left our friend james behind because he was too slow poor james poor james i'm assuming he made it out right He's fine. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Relatively as, speaking. As, as, the lyrics, as the lyrics of the Tammy Marie say, it's a miracle we made it out at all. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That's that's a joke. But yeah. That's a <laughs> song. That's just always like freaky to me, though. Like abandoned buildings. Like, I don't know. I want to explore one. And even like, I'll, I myself will watch YouTube videos on abandoned buildings, but I watch it and I think, I don't want to be there. Like, I've driven past it before since or since then and I even like myself, curiosity then. Yeah, at that point it's just thinking to myself, that was really stupid. <laughs> you know, um there's this abandoned mansion um that was owned by Bruce Lee and when he died it got transferred over to this guy who was I think he was like in the Playboy or porn or like hustle industry. I forget what it was. Oh, no, it wasn't that. He, it was Bruce Lee's mansion, and it got transferred over to this guy who used it as, like, like a sex mansion, pretty much, for, like, people to come in and have sex and, like, book, like, book in, write stuff in. And there's this video of this guy, like, hopping over the fence, and there's, it's really weird, too, because there's still, like, insignias from, like, when Bruce Lee lived there, half with, like, when that guy owned it, so... And there's, like, still clothes in there from that day and age. They've just and this never... is in Atlanta? No, no, no. This is, like, in L.A. or something. Oh, I was going to say, holy cow. Yeah, like, if that was in Atlanta, <laughs> like, I would go there, like, immediately and just, like, check it out. Atlanta has some interesting buildings. They do. That's for sure. Have you, um, there's actually one right across from me, because I live, I'm here at Georgia State right now in Atlanta, and I live right near Auburn Avenue, and Auburn oh, Avenue... Okay like one of the most historical streets in all of Georgia, even Atlanta. Yeah. And there's just this abandoned, I'm looking at it right now, so I'm sorry if I'm not looking at the camera, but there's a like an abandoned like church looking building that's just like been there forever and no one's ever gone into it. And literally yesterday, these guys who like work for a work company, like went in there and just did some renovations. So like that's just been unopened for a long time. Especially around that area, I imagine property is not cheap to keep abandoned. It's not. I don't even know why it's abandoned. Like, I mean, I understand like it's historical and you want to keep it for historical purposes, but I think tiny renovations should be like done for its upkeep at least. Oh, definitely, yeah. And it's like crazy to me that they would like do um a high have a like a high school a big abandoned like. How does that happen? Like, because they're government funded, unless it was like a private school. Well, if the government funded it, I have a few answers for that. Then, yeah, a, a couple of theories. 
<laughs> right. Uh, does you, so like these personal stories you have of like these near death experiences and like what you're doing um, as far as just living in the South, does that um, take, I'm assuming it takes a lot of heavy inspiration into your songs too? Extremely. I, uh, I love the Southern Gothic literature style, primarily writers like Flannery O'Connor, William Faulkner, people like that. And uh, so their, their kind of take on the South is interesting where they seem to enjoy aspects of it, but again, have no problem calling it out when it's, you know, not up to snuff. And I, I think, I think I have a lot to, to take credit from for Flannery O'Connor and William Faulkner, because I kind of agree there are aspects of the South that I really like. And then there's a lot that I really don't. And then kind of taking it into a personal perspective can kind of get the message across. Like the, the song, the waterfall is actually about a, uh, a relative of mine who was a moonshiner and, uh, he actually broke off from a chain gang and decided, you know, I'd rather not live the rest of my life on the run or in jail. So he had a shootout with local authorities and died. See, that's like a story you'd only hear in the South. Like Exactly. If, like, in Midtown, Buckhead, like you just the worst you'd hear is like, oh, there was this threat. People left. And like, that's it. But yeah, like with the South, like, you have a much more stringent and contingency on like, like a climax to a story or like just who was there, what time, what, where, if pretty much. Yeah. It's very, very Appalachia in, <laughs> in origin. Was there ever like something you, was there ever like an origin story that you thought of and you wanted to put it into a song, but wound up not doing it just for like, it wouldn't make the South look bad or just anything like that. I haven't really found anything that, um, wouldn't be good material for a, a song like like I, I i would say there's nothing that can't be talked about especially if it's something that we can do a lot better about gotcha yeah because i don't know i feel like there are sometimes when art an artist would see something like from their past and want to put it into a song and then they do it and then they instantly regret it um well i i almost had that case with whiskey dough because i was in a uh, a very abusive relationship i was uh, the recipient not the uh, instigator of that and i was trying to get out of it it was one of those situations where it just wasn't good at all for my physical being or emotional at all like i you know i still have physical and emotional scars from that but um the day i was actually going to break up with her she broke her femur in a car accident and her family just kind of dumped her on my doorstep and i ended up taking care of her for seven months all the while still being abused and like having to wait on this person hand and foot and whiskey dough kind of came out of it whiskey dough was actually her uh uh tag at the hospital because she didn't have insurance or a um uh, license on her at the time of the accident because she was a pedestrian and so you know it was like a john doe jane doe situation she right. was the uh you know, the 20 something, whatever person uh, that was a Jane Doe that day. So they went by military alphabet and was designated whiskey Doe. But yeah, it, it was kind of a very entrapped feeling for the longest time because you've already made your mind up to get out of this terrible situation that you already are still kind of reeling and raw from. And then you're stuck there for a lot longer. Do you think for things you've gone through like that um being in an abusive relationship 
do you would you consider like writing more songs about that or just I, like kind of shoving it and like taking it out like and releasing that stress or even therapy I, in another way uh, I have gone through therapy and it's been very effective. Um, I think that there may be just a little bit more story wise to tell, but other than that, I think, you know, there's, <laughs> there's a lot more stories to tell. So it's, it's not necessarily good to, to stay on the same subject for too long. Gotcha. Cause I, I when I always think of that, I always just think of like Eminem with the way he was raised and like sure. how his early songs were. And then now he's been in recovery and, for the most part, you don't even see like or don't even like hear any of those th- themes on a song about how he grew up night poor, or how abusive his mom was, or you never hear of anything like that at all. Right. The music know. changes with the artist. And I think, you know, as you go through different life experiences, you have different things that speak to you. Because like you just said you graduated college, like 2015, like you graduated college, right? Mm-hmm. And you were, are you still working in that field of, apart from being in the band, are you still like working in the field of um, microbiology and research and all that? Yes, I am. Uh, Where do you want to take it? Um, I work for a federal office in Atlanta, and that's kind of where I intend on staying. (laughs) Gotcha. So do you think, um, are you planning on moving to Atlanta? Oh, I I live in Atlanta. Oh, okay. Gotcha. What part? Uh, Buckhead. Oh, okay. So do you think like you're... Oh, all right. (laughs) So do you think like with your origins coming from the South, do you think, are you, do you think your songs would change over time um, where your location's based or do you think it's, you still have those like Southern roots and why? Oh man, that is a very good question. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very good question. Um, I think, I think it's, it's hard to uh, lose the kind of, small town charm from my life and especially with how much I go back up into the mountains and go hiking and camping and up to the lake and you know getting getting back in touch with that but also it's it's nice to be in Atlanta around a lot more progressively minded individuals so I'm sure that that'll have an effect on my songwriting but I'd like to think that at its core it'll still be what it is yeah, I think it's always really great when an artist um, goes somewhere else, um, but they still like retain that core in them. Um, are there any artists that you look up to in that way or that inspire you? Hmm, Carlos, do you have any migrant musicians? I mean, not really. I like when I think about music. Like, I think at some point, once you become an artist, uh, you know, your influences from other people start to um diminish over time like yeah we all listen to our our favorite musicians but uh, once you start exploring like what is your style then like instead of listening for external inspiration i think you start looking for like internal uh, inspiration like what is what is the music that's coming from inside of me like what and how do i get that out and put it on paper you know what are the words what are the what is the music what is the arrangement and um i don't know i think i think i'm i'm kind of at that point where you know, I like the music that I listen to, but I'm really trying to discover the music that that is coming from me, if that makes sense. Right. I think when we when I we started doing the Ghost Moths thing, there was a lot of inspiration from acts like Royal Blood, the Black Keys, the White Stripes, uh, Rain Wolf, things of that nature. And I think now moving forward, it will be a lot. It'll be Ghost Moths, you know, not us trying to 
cherry pick and take things that we like from these different artists to be inspired by, but just kind of going for what sounds right to us. Do you think you lose track of listening to your influences over time when you're trying to find that inner self of like how you want to stylize your sound? I definitely think it's possible. Um, it, it's very, like you can, you can like lose, I was just saying, cause like you could lose, like you said, your idea of trying to influence yourself from the artist, but like listening to it in general, would that ever get lost? Hmm. I think it's healthy to keep listening to uh, different music and obviously finding things that you uh, enjoy from that and, you know, taking re-listens from other people. I, it's very interesting that you mentioned that because it's not something that I've really considered, but I, I would think it's definitely possible to lose a bit of that kind of background in self-search. Cause I know I've done that. I just know that I've done that myself um, working with the station. Cause I'll listen to a lot of artists. I'll um, cause like at my job, I um, I'm in charge of like being a video assistant, which means I record some of the artists for their live recording sessions. So like one day it'll be a rock artist. One day it'll be a rapper. One day it'll be a blues artist. One day it'll be this, it'll be that. So I'll be working with that a lot. And then, Later that night, like when the job is done, I'll go to the gym and just like listen to everything that I grew up with or everything that keeps me motivated and keeps me running pretty much. So and then I think to myself, like, wait, like I, rem- I still listen to this, but I listen to all this other stuff too. So I just think the more yeah. you get older, um, the lexicon of like how much music you listen to like opens up as well. Definitely. I'm, I'm listening to a lot of stuff I never, ever would have considered, you know, back when I was 16. For the better, you know, it's it's yeah. Cool to listen to all kinds of different music that you find interesting. I was I remember like being in high school and like freshman year, the only things I would listen to are like Led Zeppelin, Metallica, Led Zeppelin, Metallica, and like bands like on that same spectrum. And then I remember I took a class. Oh, go ahead. Oh no 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 go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just saying. Um, in my um music appreciation class my professor was like telling us like the intro to a class, like, okay, why do I say professor? Like when I'm in high school, like, ugh, lexicon. <laughs> but my teacher, quotation marks, um, t- asked us like, so what is music appre- appreciation? And he was saying like, well, there's different types of music in the world. So my, so like, for example, I don't like world music too much. It's not my favorite thing in the world. I don't want to listen to it too much but I can appreciate like how that's put together. And then that pretty much molded my way of like saying, Oh, I can listen to things like Radiohead. I can listen to Kanye West. I can listen to like, I don't know, like NSYNC even, and like be much more appreciative of it now than I was way back when I was in high school. Yeah. And you, you don't have to necessarily like the entire discography. You don't. No, not at all. Lord knows I'm not a huge fan of certain Blink-182 albums, but I really do enjoy <laughs> that band. See, the thing with me is that that band is that I like Blink-182 without Tom DeLonge. It's oh, not you popular. Like, you like the, the Matt Skiba? Uh, yeah, not really. I mean, I like, Tom DeLonge, I like Tom DeLonge when he's not singing. Ah, uh, yeah. Like, I think he's a good, like... 44 then, maybe? Yeah, I was more into that. Like, I wish they would release more music, but obviously it's not going to happen anymore. Yeah. Oh, no. Carlos, is there a is there a yellow card album or track or two that you dislike? 
Man, that's such a hard question. I mean, in a weird way, like, <laughs> Yellow Card is probably like one of my favorite bands of all time, right? And I, it's really weird because their very first album, their like lead singer wasn't even there. So it's kind of hard to say, like, it, was it even really the band? Um, oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's always really hard when like bands will change lead singers because at that point, it's so hard to try to preserve that same style and have some continuity there. Whereas, I mean, essentially, if you play an instrument, then the instrument is the voice. It's not the person playing it, if that makes sense. Uh, it does. I definitely to, see to, it. To like, some degree. Yeah. But like, you know, and then there's other things, though, like, too, like when it comes to <clears throat> like style changes. I, know, uh, I mean, I'm really showing my out here. Um, Fallout Boy. <laughs> I their yeah. old their old yeah. stuff like as growing up that was what I grew up to and then you know when they took their hiatus and then they came back with uh, um, save rock and roll I was like what is this you know and 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 I hated it at first I was like this is this is not Fall Out Boy this is but you know kind of coming back to it um, like a, a few years later I started listening to it. I started giving it like an honest listen and it was different. But it really started to grow on me, and, and I think now that some of the songs from their later albums have become some of my favorites to listen to. So I don't know, like, it's a weird thing. Sometimes what you like now is not what you're going to like later, and you know. Well, I, and you I, can't expect bands to make the same album over and over again. I absolutely do. I think if you're going to put out a record, it's going to sound the same every time. <laughs> I, I like have what... unrealistic expectations. <laughs> then you probably hate Radiohead. Then, if that's um, the case, I'm just kidding. who's Radiohead. I'm just kidding. Oh, these are all <laughs> these are all really good jokes. Um, it looks like people are gonna like find our Facebook page and <laughs> tear us a new one now. That's right. How dare you disagree with me? Blah blah blah. But I, I don't know. I guess like it depends like how a band changes their sound in a way. To yeah, and, and like I if you do it for because you could do it for like increasing your commercial success or you can do it as just like your like artistic boundaries yeah so I think, you know with certain ones like the red hot chili peppers i mean think about how many like stylistic changes they've gone through from mm -hmm. you know the the self-titled album all the way to the most recent one and i think it's just a sign of age you know yeah uh, they're they're maturing as people i i well maturing as much as flea can but you know maturing as people do and taking a more laid-back approach to music as opposed to their old uh you know speed taking days flea is like one of those interesting people to me in music because you'll see like uh, bands like mature over time like um like obviously like they're not like wearing like penis or cock socks right like as they did like way back in the day right they have like families and kids but for me flea and even flea's not doing it too but like Flea's always, like, one of those people who will still have, like, the immaturity of, like, a teenager and some guy in his 20s, but he's also, like, a very smart, mature person as well. It's, it's able funny to how that works. He, he definitely didn't lose the child in him, and no. that can be a little bit commendable. It really is. Because um, I remember I was watching this documentary on, um, I forget, the, it's called F is for, Fan, F is for Father, um, and it's about um, punk rock musicians um, talking about, like, how fathers would change them. And I remember they interviewed Flea, even though he's not punk rock, but he was like from the same area as all those musicians and he grew up with yeah. them. So he was included. They were talking, he was talking about like, yeah, like I'm still the same person as I was, like almost the same person as I was way back when. 
but like having a daughter like changed my life forever and like he was like tearing up like crying about it and yeah yeah, like it's show and like i could not see like a 20 year old or like an 18 year old like doing that so i think there is like a maturity in him but he's really has this gift of like balance and get out with how he was back then and making it not seem obnoxious yeah sometimes you just gotta let loose still yeah like i mean all those guys like are like I mean, Anthony and Fleet are the Chili Peppers, but like also too, like the like Chad, like the drummer, is basically grown up like in the midst of their like success. Absolutely. And I think also too, like John Frusciante, I think that's he like left for a little bit because they were successful and he didn't know what to do with himself. God, do you like that album without him though? The one with Dave Navarro. Yeah, he was a, he was a good. If you were to replace them, I think he was like a really good fit too, because Aeroplane's a great song. I, I was one of those uh, people that was really into funk metal back in the day. I was one of those mm. kind of people. Um, <laughs> so I was all down for the heavier sound that Navarro brought to it. But yeah, I mean, there's so many bands that, that change over the time. And, and I, I think it would be unrealistic for people to expect them not to. I always think of Henry Rollins as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Lord knows, whatever we release next is probably going to sound completely different from Burn the Barn. Yeah, maybe they'll go back to making a pop-punk album. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't feel like we'll ever be able to let go of the pop-punk roots. What do you think, Carlos? I mean, like, you certainly want to bring the energy and that kind of stuff. And exactly. Make, but but at the same time, like, you know, who knows? Um, I don't know. Like, we, we haven't written anything yet for what's to come. So, I mean... I've listened a lot to the Lonely Island, and I've got some really great ideas, though. <laughs> well, you know, you know, hip hop and all that stuff is the future. We might take some electronic or uh, inspiration in terms of arrangement. <laughs> who knows? I was talking to a cardiac cat who I had out on last night, and they were saying like how they grew up like pop punk guys, and then they started listening to synth pop, and they were like, "This is cool. Let's do it." So you never really know like what direction it could go in, for sure. Oh, absolutely. If you had told me uh, when I was starting to play music that I'd be doing something like this, I would have laughed my head off. <laughs> yep. Yeah, the gothic, the gothic blues sound, you know, just it gets, gets catchy. It's definitely got that <laughs> pop element in there, even if it's I'd not like, like so. pop punk. Yeah. Yeah, I think absolutely. Like, do you think like, because like blues is like pretty much like one of like one of the most, if not the most influential genres. So there's definitely that masterclass of like how that genre is influential as far as chord rush goes into other like genres as well. Absolutely. I mean, and the musicians that were responsible for kind of bringing the blues to its forefront. I mean, they're just incredible songwriters. I'm talking like Skip James and Taj Mahal and uh, blind Willie McTell. I mean, all of, all of them are incredible story tellers. And that was the thing with blues is I think there was a relatability to that kind of music with a lot of people. Everyone has a depressive period of their life and, you know, people relate to that. And that's the biggest thing too, is just relation. I I, I think so. I I couldn't agree more. I think if, if you can't relate to people, um, it can be a little difficult or a little bit frustrating in your musical journey. That's not to say that uh, like noise music or uh, uh, harsh noise or things like that aren't accessible. Yeah. In fact, I, I really enjoy a lot of noise artists, but um, 
Have you listened you to know, the new Daughters record? Not... What's that? The new the uh, new Daughters record? No, I haven't checked that out. Oh my god, it's it's fantastic. They're actually going to be playing at the Masquerade on um, this coming year. Really? But if you uh, are having free time and you want to listen to a good noise album, like the new Dodgers record is the way to go. I'll do that on my drive home. But yeah, <laughs> it's it's you know it's a genre that's not necessarily trying to be the most accessible, but it still resonates with people. I think yeah, that's that's awesome. People will be able to interact and inter- and uh, excuse me engage with a lot of different styles which is awesome yeah i feel like the same way like the way that blues like had a following way back in the day and still does i feel like it's the same way with like dubstep or something where it's like you don't or noise where it's like there's nothing too relatable lyrically obviously but like i'm in with an eclectic group of people and i think the community is like the biggest thing that brings it and binds it all together absolutely this is like a like if knowing like how long you've been a band for like where do you find like the biggest blues community in atlanta like where do we find the blues where do we find the blues i think i'm still finding that out actually <laughs> you're still on that journey i'm still on that journey <laughs> um there are obviously a a, a lot of blues and blues inspired acts around here i'm i'm a huge fan of the drown towns um and i think that there are there's definitely a scene for it absolutely there are people that are really engaged in it. i don't know if there's like a specific place beside blind willies uh that really or fat mats that really you know caters to blues and blues only but there's definitely a lot of uh, if not directly blues and blues inspired bands that I think are worth checking out. Yeah. I mean, cause like I've grown up so much around like rap and rock and like all these other genres that have been in Atlanta. And this is like the first time I'm talking to someone who's actually like, uh, I would say like a heavy gothic blues artist. Like how do you define yourself? Like, is it gothic blues, heavy blues? I, I normally describe it as Southern Gothic because it okay. kind of puts that, um, literary kind of criticism of the south in there um i also use heavy blues a lot of people say it's uh kind of closer to old school heavy metal kind of like the sabbath kind of sound and i i'll admit this uh people can find my page and yell at me but i've actually never really listened to a whole lot of sabbath so i can't really say for sure (laughs) it's great but it's okay yeah um yeah (laughs) I mean, hey, I mean, there. I didn't real. I what was. I'm sure there's like there's like some artists I've never listened to listened to before in a while, and they're like people are like, you've never listened to so and so. It's like, yeah. Do you have any idea how much music there is in the world? <laughs> well, <laughs> with, you know, with Sabbath, with like parents like I did that grew up that listened to everything. It's kind of funny. That uh, that's yeah. one of them that slipped through the cracks, really. I mean, because like. Yeah, I remember like I never looked, I never like watched Pulp Fiction until like two years ago, or like not two years ago, like since that, like, until I was like seventeen. Because right, there's a lot of influential <laughs> stuff that y- y- you're not avoiding it for any particular reason. You just never get around to it. Yeah. It's physically. I think it's. Well, I don't think I know. It's it's physically impossible to listen to every single song that's released in popularity. Oh God, no, like no. <laughs> yeah, there's no way. So like oh, it, there's no like hard there's no like rant taken that you haven't listened to too much Sabbath. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> None. Well, we're almost well. We're just like about out of time for the show. Um, but before we go, um, 
I did this with the last um, band Cardiac Half, but it was just say if you want to, you can either be have it be a secret or a fun fact. Say a secret or a fun fact about yourself that a lot of people don't know. Carlos, what you got? I'm gonna have to think about this for a second. Man, I was about to defer to you, bro. Um, <laughs> uh, a secret or a fun fact? Oh, I got one. I'm actually left-handed. Uh, the only thing I do right-handed are play instruments. So you're ambidextrous? No, the only thing I do right-handed. Are oh, the, that's the only thing. Gotcha. <laughs> that's all I do. Right-handed. So Maybe that was, it was like destiny. Maybe it was like the way to find the blues through your right hand. It was uh, the quickest guitar I could get a hold of. Was that <laughs> so that's just what I stuck with. That's great. <laughs> Um, man, I don't know that that's such a really like tough question to ask. It's like, what I, I don't, I don't really know what's like interesting about myself. Um, I never, I, I, I guess like being a drummer, I never ever played in, uh, like a drum line. So that's one of those weird things that being a drummer, a lot of people like expect that I can do like all these like really? cool, like stick tricks. And, uh, I always forget you know, that you never marched. You have... I never, I never marched. I only I only did concert band and jazz band uh, when I was like kind of in music education back in the day. So, yeah, it's uh, and it was really strange. One time I got selected to be in the uh, like the all parish band and it was a marching band. And so they, they gave me this like marching snare. And of course, I'm like, these sticks are weird. And what do you, what is this like traditional grip? I've never done. This before. <laughs> I've, held, I've held them before. They are really strange from like regular like drumsticks yeah and, and it was crazy everybody there like was totally schooling me on like all the things that they could do but then they put sheet music in front of us and i was the only person who could read and play that and everybody's <laughs> looking at me like dang look at this dude playing i'm like guys just do you don't know how to read music but at the same time that's not to say that you know marchers don't know how to to read music but i, I just, we're gonna I've have to... so many people on our page yelling at us now <laughs> no, just, just yeah just yelling at me no but i'm just saying it's a really interesting um thing like just never having march and i mean i have a tremendous respect for um for marching bands and i'm, I'm kind of always wish that i would have gotten a taste of that because i really did have a lot of fun that day met a lot of cool people learned a lot of things and um yeah i guess that's my cool fact of the day Awesome. Do y'all have any, um, forgot to ask this before, but do y'all have any upcoming shows in the f- near future? Because I know the I mean, one with Lincoln Durham's coming that's, up. But... Uh, that's definitely the most exciting one. We're really excited because uh, the last time Lincoln came into town, I he was at a Vinyl, I believe. I was there and I, uh, I just kind of like said to myself, the next time he comes into town, I want to play with him. And luckily it worked out that way. Um, we have a couple of smaller house shows throughout this month and next month, uh, that you can find as we update them on our Facebook page or Instagram, but, uh, yeah, y'all should come out to the Lincoln Durham's show, if not for our sake, but for his. And I'll link those as well, um, on my page as well and get your page on there too. So people know about this. Thanks, man. Sounds good. Yeah, absolutely. So that once again, this has been the with where and who podcast with ghost Moss. Thank you all so much for listening and we are tuning out.